Chapter 14 I called in sick the following day. Graham threatened to find me if I didn't return the next morning with a sick note from my doctor. Obviously his words didn't bother me. I was on day two of my brief return. The following night I would be murdered. Getting fired didn't quite make it to the list of things concerning me anymore. I had slept in the spare room. I didn't know or care what Paul thought about that. He was still sleeping after 10am, probably exhausted from his sordid antics. I let him sleep while I packed as I squeezed a t-shirt into the bag. I looked around at everything I always thought I needed. The television attached to the wall of the bedroom had barely been used in the two years since we purchased it. I recalled giving Paul all my reasons for why we needed a 40-inch television in the bedroom, rather than the small portable TV-DVD combi we owned before that. We could spend weekends snuggled up in bed watching TV when we snowed in. My voice seemed to echo back at me from years earlier. In reality, we spent one weekend in bed after four inches of snow made it too cold for us to venture outside. By the next time it snowed, Paul had invested in snow boots and he walked to the restaurant, saying that he had to keep the place open or customers would go elsewhere. I don't know why he felt like it was down to him. The king-size bed where Paul sprawled out was his idea. He convinced me we needed it, insisting it would spice up our love life and help us to sleep better. Maybe he was right, but he began spicing up his own sex life without me or the king-size bed. My only regret when it came to my relationship with Paul was wasting so much of my life on him. I could have been with someone else, or just making friends with women like Shelley, women who would have my back. Looking back, I didn't have much to be happy or proud about in my life. I thought I was happy with Paul, but I wouldn't be able to explain why if anyone asked me how my life with Paul made me happy. I picked up the bag and left the room, the house, my life. I kept walking until I reached my mum's house. Sarah? she asked. I assumed she was surprised to see me rather than needing to question whether it was me. I didn't visit often, but my visits weren't so infrequent that she could forget what I looked like. I left Paul, can I come in? I asked. Mum gaped at me while opening the door wider, then she stepped aside to let me pass. What happened? she asked. He prefers kinky prostitutes, but that's not why I'm here, I said, unable to resist mentioning Paul's indiscretion. Sure that my mum wouldn't be able to stop herself from mentioning something like that to Emma after my death. What? Can we not talk about it right now? Okay, are you staying? Her last word was full of more surprise. I couldn't blame my mum for her astonishment or confusion. As soon as I got the opportunity to move out, I did. Afterwards, I only visited on special occasions or when I needed something. Just think of it as you repay me for all the time I lost with Dad, I recalled saying after she accused me of using her. When will I ever be up to date with my payments? she asked. Never, I told her. I can't figure out why she never told me to get lost after the way I treated her. I forced myself back to the present moment, realising if I wanted answers to my questions, I would have to apologise first. More importantly, telling my mum how sorry I was was the right thing to do. I'm sorry, I said. For what? Her response could have been sarcastic, asking which of all the things I ever did or said I was apologising for. It sounded like a genuine question, though. I treated you like... 
I don't know exactly, but you never sent me away and I still treated you like shit. My mother took a step back, her eyes scrunched together, looking at me as though waiting for the punchline. I'm sorry, I said again. You're my daughter, I've always done my best for you. Well, at least what I thought was best. I could have been wrong though. I just don't understand why you stopped me from seeing Dad, but I'm sure you had your reasons. Your dad, she began. What? Your dad is one of those situations where I thought I was doing the right thing. I always meant to tell you the truth when you were older, but I... The truth? I asked, studying my mum's serious expression as a tear leaked out. Was she fake crying again? If so, she had gotten better at it. No, it was real. She turned away, dabbing her fingers against her face to prevent me from seeing. Dad didn't die of cancer, I asked, but I already had the nagging voice in my head telling me I was right. You were his favourite. I know parents aren't meant to have favourites, but I'm sure it's because you were so like him in some ways. That's why you understood each other. He was hot-headed and outgoing to the point where people less outgoing felt a little overwhelmed in his presence. I came here to apologise, but I'm glad you're being honest with me. So what happened? I asked. Sorry, Sarah, I'm just a little bit taken aback. I don't recall you ever apologising to me before. You were young and I couldn't tell you the truth because you looked up to him. So I had to lie to you and then to your sister to stop you from finding out the truth. He ran off with his secretary. All those visits to the hospital, that was me going to his workplace and trying to convince him to come home. Not for me. I couldn't have gone back to how things were before he cheated. But for you girls, especially you, Sarah, you needed them in your life. I looked at her wondering if she would have stayed with my dad if he returned home. I imagined how awkward the relationship between them would have been. She no longer loved him, just like I no longer loved Paul. I'm glad he didn't come back, I said, pushing aside the realisation of how we both fell for the wrong men. He never seemed glad. The way he used to yell at me and tell me how I kept you away from him. It sounded like you wished I was dead. The tears were rolling down her face now. She no longer seemed able to keep up the pretense of not crying by dabbing her face. She had given up and allowed them to ruin her perfectly applied makeup. If he told me the truth, I would have dealt with it. I might have been a better daughter, I told her. Tears streamed down my face too. They were wet and stung my eyes, proving themselves to be real. Not like the ghost tears I had only been able to imagine like a phantom limb. It's not too late, my mother said through a small smile. The hope in her words and her expression only made me cry more. Of course she didn't know this was my last full day. She didn't realise I would sleep at her house at night if she let me, but the following night my body would be lying lifeless in an alley in the middle of town for the second time. How could she know? If I told her, she wouldn't believe me. Even if she did, she would try to keep me at her house, refuse to let me go out to meet my death. There's no way she would understand that it had to happen. I struggled to find the words to explain it. But if I wanted to stop Tim from killing all the women he murdered after me, I needed to die in a way that would lead the police to him. If I managed to escape my fate, it would be the most selfish thing I had ever done. And from the sound of things, I would die anyway. So I might as well have it mean something. 
I was at Mum's to make up for the way I treated her and hopefully to be a better sister to Emma by giving my mum the gossip about Paul. I wanted to stop being so selfish, letting Tim kill me would be the final step in doing the right thing in my life. No, it's not too late. I agreed with my mum, admitting the fact that it was almost too late. Let me make some of that lemonade you used to like, she exclaimed. You haven't made lemonade in years. Your 14th birthday. I wondered why you hadn't drunk any of it. That wasn't until I found you behind the shed at the bottom of the garden, drinking cider. That stuff tastes disgusting, I recalled. No wonder. You bought the shop's own brand and double strength too. I remember you throwing up after I made you eat the chicken dinner I cooked. I knew eating so much food after drinking all that awful cider would make you sick. Then why make me eat it, I asked, unable to stop myself from grinning. It taught you a lesson, didn't it? I don't recall you drinking alcohol for a few years after that. Good point. I didn't have the hat to tell her how I saved up my pocket money for months at a time to buy better brands. We sat and talked until lunchtime before Mum asked if I was going into work. No, not today. I'll be back there tomorrow though. My eyes wandered around the room. I didn't notice anything to suggest she was going to move in with Martin in the very near future. No photos of them together. No items accidentally left behind from his overnight stays. Even a trip to the bathroom didn't result in me finding so much as a spare toothbrush. They had to be seeing each other though. Things couldn't escalate from dating to moving in together so soon after my death otherwise. It's okay if you're seeing someone, I said to Mum as we sat on the sofa, watching some old murder mystery. I didn't understand why the woman ran around the house locking all the doors after hearing a noise from upstairs. The would-be killer was clearly already in the house of her. Who would I see? My mother feigned ignorance. I guess she expected me to go back to my old self and have a go at her if she mentioned Martin to me. Martin, maybe. He's single, and he seems to like you. Where are you getting this from? Her face flushed as she tried to cover her left cheek with her hand. I think he might be good for you, that's all, I said. I'll keep that in mind, she said between forced laughs. Good. At least she knew I was okay with her relationship. I made a new friend at work. Her name is Shelley. I offered the information, changing the subject for her benefit. Really? Well, don't act so surprised. I'm not that horrible, am I? Of course not. You have your moments. I don't recall you ever having a female friend who wasn't just dating one of your boyfriend's mates. I didn't have that many boyfriends, I protested. The truth is, Paul remained the only boyfriend I had in my reduced life. Though because I hung around with his friends, people assumed I'd gone through lots of relationships. I understood what she meant, though. I thought the same thing about my lack of female friends. That's why when faced with the prospect of no longer being alive, I took the selfish option and befriended Shelley. I didn't want to be remembered as a woman with no real friends. I thought about Steve. He was a friend too. He wasn't female though. I found myself realising the person I had become could easily develop feelings for him. He had flaws, but so did I. We were both struggling to be better though. I need to go out for a few hours, I told my mum. You're not taking him back? Not after the prostitutes, she exclaimed. What? No. I'm going to see my friend. Shelley, 
No, another new friend, Steve. Wow, you have been busy, she retorted. You don't know the half of it, I muttered as I reached the hallway and was safely out of earshot. shot. 